Well, before you sit, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6, and I believe we're going to begin here with verse uh, 30. And I want to give a shout out at this point to uh, our friends in Elyria. The Elyria campus is joining us to be listening in on the message today. So let's just uh, welcome them as uh, we uh, remind ourselves that we're one church in two locations. But I, I, I have this word that I'd like to share with you, and uh, let, let's begin here with verse 30. Mark chapter 6, hear the word of the Lord. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they'd done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five, two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down on the ground on the green grass so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to Bethsaida, which he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn went out to them, walking on the lake, he was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because, all they, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And he climbed into the boat with them, the wind died down, they were completely amazed, and they not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to where, he, where they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. You know, I, I find it interesting that in the early part of Jesus' ministry here, the person who was getting the most attention, the person who was getting the most headlines was, in fact, John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist was the person that people wanted to see. John the Baptist was the one that, that people wanted to hear from. And so it's interesting to me that in the middle of chapter 6, we see that, that John the Baptist is considered to be the threat to the state. And they arrest him, and then they execute him by beheading. So suddenly, John is gone, and it left a deep void in the community of the people who were trying to follow God faithfully. And so with John the Baptist dead, the question becomes, what now? Well, you know, God always has a way of raising up someone else to lead. And of course, in that context, it was the leader of leaders. It was the king of kings who was raised up, who would show us what a perfect man was like, and he would lead us to God. Now, I want to just take a moment here, and I don't want to be overly dramatic in any sense, but there is a sense where, uh, and I don't want to compare myself to John the Baptist, but Man, how I love the fact that when I step away for a season here at this church, our church didn't miss a beat from all indication. I look at the mission work that was done, the children's camp, the VBS, outstanding messages every Sunday by our pastoral staff. And I've got to tell you, I was just excited and thrilled to see all that, that has been accomplished in this past month. And I finally told my family, listen, I've got to get back to church soon or they're going to realize they don't need me at all. And so I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful to be back today. But if you study, interestingly enough, the ministry of John the Baptist, if you study it carefully, you begin to see that John the Baptist's ministry was about one thing, and that was pointing people to Jesus. He wanted people to see their need for Jesus, to convince them who Jesus was. And in fact, when some of John's disciples began to follow Jesus, John's response was, he must increase but i must decrease and so this morning as i return to the pulpit i want to remind you once again of my mission let's get to know jesus our mission as a church is to love people to life in jesus christ with my absence i've seen and maybe you too that we've demonstrated that we have some remarkable leadership in our church. And I sincerely believe this this morning, however. Listen, my friends, if we are going to take the next step in fulfilling our church's calling to love people to Christ, if we're going to take that next step, our leadership needs to extend beyond the pastoral staff and beyond the elder board leadership and a few people who serve very faithfully the reality is, in our day and time and what's all going in the world, we need an army of disciples who come together with a mission. And when I think about discipleship, sometimes I think about following. But it occurred to me over this past month that if you think about discipleship, the disciples of Jesus, in fact, Jesus calls them to follow him for the express purpose that when he was gone, they might leave the church. And so I want you to know that one of the most important parts of being a disciple is learning to lead. Jesus called his disciples to follow him so, in fact, they could lead others to him. 
And so this morning, as I return, I want to suggest to you that I'm going to be sharing over the next few weeks several messages that I think are going to be rather challenging to us as we look at the ministry of Jesus through the perspective of his leadership so that we might be very sensitive to the fact of how he is calling us to lead. Because part of being a Christian is being called to step up and to step out and to take responsibility. Now, I don't probably have to tell you today. There are a lot of people in churches who come to church and they have this notion, well, I'll come to church, I'll put in my hour, I'll relax at church, and then after I go home, I'll just go on with my life. Listen, if that's your perspective, I want to warn you. I'm aiming at you over these next few weeks. I'm coming at you. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. And, and I don't mean that I don't want you to be here. I want you to be here, but be warned. I want to see you step up in new ways. One of the things I've seen is at Acts 4. I love this. When we begin to see the ministry of the disciples after Jesus left, they boldly proclaimed the gospel and leading the church. In fact, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want you to see this. Listen to me. Listen to me very clearly. There's a boldness that comes when we've been with Jesus. There's a boldness that comes when we've been with Jesus. But, but can I also be clear here? Because there are a lot of Christian leaders out there who get the headlines, and, and there are a lot of people who talk about them, but there's also a boldness that comes from being a jerk. There, there are some Christians out there who need to hear this. When it's Jesus-inspired leadership, it attracts people to Jesus. When it comes to being a jerk, it repels them from Jesus. We have way too many Christians out there in public today who have become really good at being jerks for Jesus. And I'm tired of it. We need people who are so close to Jesus that they capture his heart. They, they love like he loves. The Bible says, and it will always be the case, God's kindness leads people to repentance. So this morning, I want to invite you to look at the heart of Jesus. There is not a single person who's ever been called to be a jerk for Jesus, but all of us have been called to be with him and be bold because of it. Let's look at uh, verse 30 in chapter 6 here. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, doesn't that sound wonderful? Wow. Uh, we see it a, a little bit later in this chapter, too. Jesus gets away. I, I want you to notice this right off the bat. I want you to see this about Jesus, is that Jesus had a spirit-filled heart. 
You know, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke says, and Jesus began his ministry, the Holy Spirit filled him. His ministry was filled with the Spirit. Jesus knew that if he was going to be effective in ministry, then he had to continually be filled up with the Spirit. Now, I want to ask you this very simple question. Can you say to me, Pastor, I am filled up with God today. I suspect if we were honest, there aren't many of us that would say, I am full of God's Spirit. And yet, let's look at how did that happen for Jesus. Jesus loved people. But in order for Jesus to love people, he knew that, that in order for him to love them graciously and unconditionally and patiently, he had to consistently align himself with God the Father's heart. And for that to happen, he had to intentionally get away with God. I, I brought up here, and this is kind of a silly illustration, I suspect, but I'll use it anyway. I brought up with me this morning two Coke cans. Now, uh, from your vantage point, these look probably very similar. You might not notice any difference. However, one of these Coke cans I can crush rather easily. The other, probably not so much. What's the difference? One is filled, one is empty. One will buckle because it has nothing in it. Years ago, years ago, when comedian uh, Charlie Chaplin really ruled the world, he, he was well known throughout the world, he found himself in Monaco. And he saw an advertisement for a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest. He decided to enter it anonymously. He came in third place. <laughs> I want to make the point. Look, I may not really be able to see who you are. I get so tired of reading about national Christian leaders who cheat on their wives or abuse members of their staff or in some other way embarrass the kingdom of God. We've seen it so often that it doesn't even shock us anymore. But we ask ourselves, these people look so spiritual. They, they seem to be so strong. But the reality is we do not know the content of a person's character. We don't know their hearts. We don't know what's going on inside. But we do know that when people are, are easily crushed, crushed by pressure, temptation, or suffering, it's an indication of emptiness within. Jesus took the time to replenish his soul. He took the time to spend with the Father. He got away often with God. Oswald Chambers wrote, If I am devoted to the cause of humanity only, I will soon be exhausted and come to the place where my love will falter. But if I love Jesus Christ personally and passionately, I can serve humanity even though men treat me like a doormat. Jesus 
if you look at his life, he loved people. He really did. But he knew that love needed to be tethered to the love of God. My friend, no matter how strong you are, being with people, going to work, doing what life entails, it will drain you. But Jesus knew that for his mission to be fulfilled, he had to be filled up with the Spirit of God. Can I ask you, when was the last time you got away with God? When it was just God and you. There are different ways, of course, we can recharge our spiritual batteries. You know, I'm, I'm one who can sit and watch, uh, you know, the old Gaither music videos, you know, the Gaithers, and they come together and they sing the old time gospel songs. I watch that and I'll just well up with tears and my heart begins to just flutter and, and rise up. Now, some of you, that kind of music just makes you gag, and I understand, but does something for me. I don't know how you get away with God. I don't know, but there are times when we just need to let it be him and me. I think a good time to do that is in the morning before the day begins. We're, we immerse ourselves in God's word where we remind ourselves of God's promises, where we are refreshed in knowing he says to be there with us. Listen, if your relationship with God simply consists of the 90 minutes or so that you come to church on a Sunday, I guarantee you this. You're not being filled up with God. You're not being filled up with the Spirit. And God will never be able to use you to the extent that he wants to. There's so much more. Isaiah 30, 35 says, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Let's continue on here. In verse 33 it says, But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns, got there ahead of him. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd... <laughs> he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now what we see here is this. Jesus tried to get away. And if I had been him and I'd saw this crowd, I would have been rather aggravated, right? He, he really needed some time off. He'd been drained by the demands of the crowds of people. He taught them. He healed them. He'd listened to them. What's more, he has just received the news of, of his cousin and friend, John the Baptist, who had been arrested and now beheaded. He needed time to just grieve and process that and be alone. I think when Jesus said, guys, let's get out of here for a while. Let's go. I think they were all excited about getting some rest. Peter couldn't wait to just go fishing. Thomas wanted to crack open a book. And so they get into the boat and they row their way to the other side of the sea. But when they near the shore, they come to that narrow or supposedly alone place. To their surprise, there are all these people who have run ahead and are just waving at them. What took you guys so long? 
One of the things I guess I've really learned in ministry all these years is, yes, you need to make plans. You need to to make plans to rest. But so often in ministry, listen, ministry happens in the interruptions. This isn't convenient. This isn't the time. This isn't the place. But that's ministry. I want to tell you about my sabbatical. Can I do that? I had four goals this month. Uh, Mary and I were going to take a Caribbean cruise. That was one goal. That's been on my bucket list for a while. I told you how excited I was about the opportunity to eventually do that. Number two, I was going to read several books and come up with a sermon plan for the rest of the year. Number three, I was going to start a diet and regular uh, exercise regimen. And then... Four, we were going to spend each weekend going to Pennsylvania to begin the process of moving Mary's parents back with us to Ohio. Some of you may know, but my mother-in-law has severe dementia, and my father-in-law has various health issues, which means that was going to be quite a challenge all unto itself, getting the house ready for sale, putting all, you know, putting things together. But we'd have fun on our cruise, and then I'd do the other things when we got back. But as you know, plans rarely work out quite as you'd like them to. Now, the truth is we took our cruise, and someday I'm going to tell you about that cruise. But the good news is Mary took the cruise with me. There was some doubt about that, but I got her on the boat, and we had a pretty good time. But the day we got off the boat, my parents, my parents took a a, a trip to the Turks and Caicos, which is what, somewhere in the Caribbean, with my sister's family. Well, two days later, as I'm ready to head back to Ohio, I get word that my dad was water sliding and fell and broke several ribs. My dad, who's nearing 80 years old, doesn't realize how old he is, but he was in pain, and soon he was in grave condition. He was barely able to breathe. Oxygen became an issue. There were other things that began to develop. Long story short, I ended up in Miami four different times while he was in the hospital there for a number of weeks. On Sunday, last Sunday, I drove uh, him from, from Miami after they finally released him from the hospital. He was very ill, very grave in terms of just oxygen was an issue. Uh, I drove him to Atlanta where I met my sister so that I could get back on the plane and come to Cleveland so that afternoon we could drive to Pennsylvania with Mary and her parents. So it has been a month of planes and trains and buses and ships and all kinds of things. And the truth is, one of the reasons I am really glad to be back here is just so I can rest a bit and stop living out of a suitcase. That is not fun. And stop spending money. That's uh, you know, it's, you can't afford not to have a job, you know, and, and work. Uh, that's the truth. And uh, about that diet, I realize I just have too much on my plate, okay? That's, that's the issue. So Jesus, he's looking for some privacy. He's looking for some downtime. But he finds a crowd. And notice Jesus. He doesn't resent the intrusion. He sees these people, and the Bible says he had compassion on them. And he sees them as sheep without a shepherd.
Jesus had a compassionate heart. I want you to know that that is the heart of a Christ-like leader. We don't use people as pawns so that we can step it up. We don't see them as interruptions or as people in the way. Noah Shepherd loves his sheep and he knows them by name. This past month, I had the privilege of ministering to my own family. Thank you for giving me that honor. But a shepherd has a compassionate heart. You know, I learned this early on. When I was in sixth grade, we got a new pastor at Fulton Creek Friends Church. That's the church where I grew up. His name was Chuck Fye. Chuck Fye was a big guy and very friendly. And we'd meet together, and he noticed me at sixth grade, seventh, eighth grade, and said, Jeff, I think you'd be a good pastor someday. He planted a seed. And you know, the truth is, all those years he was in our church, I don't remember two paragraphs of what he preached. But I do remember how he loved people. I remember him wanting to be there when people were hurting, and he cried with them. When people were celebrating, no one could laugh like Chuck. When, when, when people felt alone, he was there to just sit there for hours representing Jesus. So much of that ministry impacted me. At his funeral a few years ago, I, I was asked to speak, and I said to the group that was gathered, listen, Chuck was not a great preacher. And maybe that was a... That was too tough, but I didn't think he was a great preacher. But he was a great pastor because he had a great heart. He loved people. Jesus' heart was a heart of compassion. I'll tell you something else. It was a spirit-filled heart. It was a heart of compassion. And it was a servant's heart, too. You know, this world thinks of greatness as ruling. But in God's eyes, greatness is serving. We notice here it gets late. The people are hungry. Jesus is the most effective leader who ever lived because he understood the needs of people. When the disciples suggested, well, we ought to probably send them home, Jesus said, uh, well, let's think about that. Jesus could have said, well, you know, it's true. It's not our problem. It's not going to hurt them to miss a meal. They can fast. But Jesus recognizes that there's an opportunity here. The disciples see obstacles. We can't afford this, Jesus. There are too many people, Jesus. All we have is a little bit of lunch and five loaves and two fish, Jesus. But Jesus sees an opportunity for a miracle. And you know, Christ-like leaders do that. They, they, they don't just see the obstacles. They see the possibilities that God may want to do something spectacular. But Jesus becomes this visionary, but it's more than that. He takes appropriate action. He gets organized. You notice here, he has them divided up into groups of 50s and 100s. He's, he's trying to, to allow for the the, the, the 
quick and efficient distribution of food. I'm sure he wanted a, a number of people. He wanted to be able to recount this miracle when, when it was told in the Gospels. He did something about it to organize the people. You know, in 2016, our church did a capital campaign. We call it the Generations Campaign. And we had a goal of $1 million, which was an incredible stretch for our church at the time. But our leadership team had determined we could not move forward in our building project, which was going to cost $3.2 million if we did not have those funds. So I put that out as a fleece to God and to our congregation. Listen, folks, if we don't raise this million dollars, we cannot move forward. If we do, we will try and we will go uh, for it, but, but if not, we're not going to do it. And those of you who remember that campaign, you'll remember that when we, the final tally was given, we had commitments of $1,014,000. We just got over it by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. And so in faith, we decided to build and renovate this facility. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm so glad we did that. It has served our physical needs very well. If you have been in our youth room lately, you know how important that room has become to our youth ministry and to other ministries too. If you remember the old youth room and what we used to go through, it's, it's, it's incomparable. I love the fact that we have a secure and safe and great location for our children's ministry. The fact that we can have fellowship in our halls and not rush people out and enjoy fellowship together. And if we had waited to build, I think about the pandemic, inflation, which is incredible, the cost would have indeed been prohibitive. But part of that decision to build, we knew that there would come a time when we would have to do another campaign to pay off what we owed. Now, we owe something like $1.8 million right now. That's a lot. We spent $3.2 million on the project, and if we had waited, I'm going to tell you it would be $4.2 million easily. So this fall, our leadership has decided we're going to do another campaign. And I'm going to be really upfront. I'm going to need everyone's help. Right now, we've formed a leadership team for the campaign, but over the next few weeks, you may be asked to help serve in some capacity, to be a part of it in some way, in us setting a new goal and setting up for the next stage of ministry here, finishing the job of helping us with the debt and accomplishing some other things in this facility, both here and in Illyria. And I'm going to need leaders I need some people to step up who are spirit-filled, compassionate, and willing to dream. And over the next few weeks, you're, you're going to be given an opportunity to help serve and lead in that campaign in various ways. And I believe with all my heart that God provided then, and he's going to do it again. But just like then, he's going to use what we have to offer now, we're going to need leaders to step up. Leaders who are not prideful or fearful. Pride says, well, we could do it all on our own. No, we can't. <laughs> we need God. 
Fear says, oh, it's too great. There's no way we can do this. It refuses to trust God. No, we're going to walk by faith. We can't know everything about the future. Thank goodness we don't know everything about the future. But we do know God and his character and his love for us. That's why the Bible says, as leaders, we should be strong and courageous. When God is leading, we should have no fear. Now, if you read John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, you'll notice that the people the very next day return asking for Jesus to do it again. Hey, this is really cool. Feed us again. But you know Jesus refused to do so. He said, I'm not a bread Messiah. I've come to give you spiritual food. That's more important. And wouldn't you know it, many left him. You know, Jesus was sensitive to people's physical needs, but he always came to offer something much more important. He came to serve us and our spiritual needs. And his leadership meant that he would be rejected and wind up on a cross dying for the sins of the world. And in dying, he, he led his followers to eternal life and the bread that would satisfy our souls. You see, Christ-like leaders don't give people just what they want. They seek to provide people what they really need. And what all of us need more than anything else is the forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternal life, and a purpose for living. Those deepest needs can only be found when we make a commitment to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. In fact, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Friend, do you know him? Puzzle Chambers said personally and passionately. Because when that happens, our lives change. Our priorities change. What we care about changes. And I'm asking God to raise up a people in this church who put him first in his kingdom and the gospel message that I am flawed so much so that Jesus had to die for me. But I am so loved and valued, he was glad to die for me. Are we going to have some leaders in our church? Are you going to be one of them? Jason, I'm going to wrap up this way. I wonder if you can help me. I know we sang the song Room for You. Could we do that as part of our closing this morning? I want us to, uh, to go to prayer. And as Jason leads us, I'm just asking, I'm not even, the altar is always open. But I'm asking you to just wait and ask God, Lord, have I made room for you? What are you calling me to? How am I called to step up and step out? Lord, I give you myself. 
I want to know you passionately and personally. Jesus Christ, you raise up leaders in your church. You raise up people who are eager to serve you. But sometimes, Lord, our motives can be for the affections of others, for the publicity that we gain, the ego that can be stroked. Lord, I pray for none of that. I pray instead, Lord, that you would raise up a people in your church who just want to serve you and lead in your name with a spirit-filled quality that allows us to be compassionate and serve others. That, Lord, others would come to know you because we've laid our lives down for you, just as you laid your life down for us. Have your way, Lord. Have your way in our church. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.